Of course, there is always the prospect of a girl's going away. Girls not unfrequently intend to go away. Sometimes they go away very suddenly, without any previous intention. At any rate, such a girl as Alice cannot be regarded as a fixture in a house. Binding as may be her duties at home, it is quite understood that should any adequate provocation to go away be brought within her reach, she will go, let the duties be what they may. Alice was a thoroughly good girl, good to her father, good to her little brothers and sisters, unutterably good to that poor, foolish stepmother, but, no doubt, she would go away if duly asked. When that vista of future discomfort in the doctor's house first made itself clearly apparent to the Bethamites, an idea that Alice might perhaps go very soon had begun to prevail in the village. The eldest son of the vicar, Parson Rossiter, had come back from India as Major Rossiter, with an appointment, as some said, of two thousand pounds a year. Let us put it down as one thousand five hundred, and had renewed his acquaintance with his old playfellow. Others, more than one or two, had endeavoured before this to entice Alice to go away, but it was said that the dark-visaged warrior, with his swarthy face and black beard and bright eyes, probably, too, something in him nobler than those outward bearings, had whispered words which had prevailed. It was supposed that Alice now had a fitting lover, and that, therefore, she would go away. There was no doubt in the mind of any single inhabitant of Beetham as to the quality of the lover. It was considered on all sides that he was fitting, so fitting that Alice would, of course, go when asked. John Rossiter was such a man that every Bethamite looked upon him as a hero, so that Betham was proud to have produced him. In small communities, a man will come up now and then as to whom it is surmised that any young lady would, of course, accept him. This man, who was now about ten years older than Alice, had everything to recommend him. He was made up of all good gifts of beauty, conduct, dignity, good heart, and fifteen hundred a year at the very least. His official duties required him to live in London, from which Beetham was seventy miles distant, but those duties allowed him ample time for visiting the parsonage. So very fitting he was to take any girl away upon whom he might fix an eye of approbation, that there were others, higher than Alice in the world's standing, who were said to grudge the young lady of the village so great a prize. For Alice Dugdale was a young lady of the village, and no more, whereas there were county families around with daughters, among whom the Rossiters had been in the habit of mixing. Now that such a Rossiter had come to the fore, the Parsonage family was held to be almost equal to county people. To whatever extent Alice's love affairs had gone, she herself had been very silent about them. Nor had her lover as yet taken the final step of being closeted for ten minutes with her father. Nevertheless, everybody had been convinced in Beetham that it would be so, 
unless it might be Mrs. Rossiter. Mrs. Rossiter was ambitious for her son, and in this matter sympathized with the county people. The county people certainly were of opinion that John Rossiter might do better, and did not altogether see what there was in Alice Dugdale to make such a fuss about. Of course she had a sweet countenance, rather brown, with good eyes. She had not, they said, another feature in her face which could be called handsome. Her nose was broad, her mouth was large. They did not like that perpetual dimpling of the cheek, which, if natural, looked as if it were practiced. She was stout, almost stumpy, they thought. No doubt she danced well, having a good ear and being active and healthy. But with such a waist, no girl could really be graceful. They acknowledged her to be the best nursemaid that ever a mother had in her family. But they thought it a pity that she should be taken away from duties for which her presence was so much desired, at any rate, by such a one as John Rossiter. I, who knew Beetham well, and who, though turned the hill of middle life, had still an eye for female charms, used to declare to myself that Alice, though she was decidedly village and not county, was far, far away the prettiest girl in that part of the world. The old parson loved her, and so did Miss Rossiter, Miss Janet Rossiter, who was four or five years older than her brother, and therefore quite an old maid. But John was so great a man that neither of them dared to say much to encourage him, as neither did Mrs. Rossiter to use her eloquence on the other side. It was felt by all of them that any persuasion might have on John anything but the intended effect. When a man at the age of thirty-three is deputy assistant, inspector general of cavalry, it is not easy to talk him this way or that in a matter of love. And John Rossiter, though the best fellow in the world, was apt to be taciturn on such a subject. Men frequently marry almost without thinking about it at all. Well, perhaps I might as well. At any rate, I cannot very well help it. That too often is the frame of mind. Rossiter's discussion to himself was of a higher nature than that, but perhaps not quite what it should have been. This is a thing of such moment that it requires to be pondered again and again. A man has to think of himself, and of her, and of the children, which have to come after him, of the total good or total bad which may come of such a decision. As in the one manner there is too much of negligence, so in the other there may be too much of care. That perhaps I might as wells, so good is providence, are sometimes more successful than those careful, long-pondering heroes. The old parson was very sweet to Alice, believing that she would be his daughter-in-law, and so was Miss Rossiter, thoroughly approving of such a sister. But Mrs. Rossiter was a little cold, all of which Alice could read plainly and digest without saying a word. If it was to be, she would welcome her happy lot with heartfelt acknowledgment of the happiness provided for her. But if it was not to be, 
No human being should know that she had sorrowed. There should be nothing lackadaisical in her life or conduct. She had her work to do, and she knew that as long as she did that, grief would not overpower her. In her own house, it was taken for granted that she was to go in a manner that distressed her. You'll never be here to lengthen them, said her stepmother to her, almost whining, when there was a question as to flounces in certain juvenile petticoats which might require to be longer than they were first made before they should be finally abandoned. That I certainly shall if Tiny grows as she does now. I suppose he'll pop regularly when he next comes down, said Mrs. Dugdale. There was ever so much in this which annoyed Alice. In the first place, the word pop was to her abominable. Then she was almost called upon to deny that he would pop, when in her heart she thought it very probable that he might. And the word she knew had become intelligible to the eldest of her little sisters who was present. Moreover, she was most unwilling to discuss the subject at all, and could hardly leave it undiscussed when such direct questions were asked. Ma, she said, don't let us think about anything of the kind. This did not at all satisfy herself. She ought to have repudiated the lover altogether, and yet she could not bring herself to tell the necessary lie. I suppose he will come some day, said Minnie, the child old enough to understand the meaning of such coming. For men may come and men may go, but I go on forever, forever, said or sang Alice with a pretense of drollery.